Welcome into a new edition of Cyberly. I am your host, Blythe Bremleyv, and this is the show where we talk about tech, we talk about the attention economy, the creator economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And we've got a jam-packed show for you today. But first, I want to touch on some of the previous shows that we've had over the last few weeks, sort of the, the first month that this show has been birthed. And if you want to catch any of those episodes, all you have to do is go to YouTube, go to your favorite podcast player, and just search for Cyberly, and you should be able to find all of the previous episodes where we've had entrepreneurs, we've had business owners, we've had uh, podcast host owners. Uh, just last week, we had Donaga Markigard, who is a rancher, and she uses tech in order to plot out the cattle grazing patterns for, for her ranch. And it's just some really, really cool conversations that have happened in in the past. So if you want to check any of those out, be sure to look for Cyberly on your favorite podcast player or on YouTube. And for this show, I kind of wanted to bring it back to our first episode where it's kind of proof that you can't really be worried about the all of the perfections. Because if you look at this broadcast, I'm a little purple. When I say a little, I mean a lot. It's a little grainy. It's fuzzy. It's not the perfect broadcast. This was my first Cyberly episode just over a month ago. And look how far we've come. We have a clear broadcast now. We have good lighting set up. It's all of these incremental changes and these incremental improvements that I, I love to preach to other creators out there because we can't all have a perfect show, especially when we first start, especially if you're experienced and you should be, you should know what you're doing. But it just proves that a, a lot of the different video formats and challenges out there, you know, the, the people behind the scenes are going through them just as much as you are. And speaking of our, our previous guests, they've gone through them as well. And the, all of the, the sort of the common denominator is that we all just hit the ground running and we try to make those incremental changes and incremental improvements as we keep going. So just use that as a little bit of motivation to see where we were and how we are coming to where we are today. There's still improvements that I want to make to the show, uh, but those will come over in due time. Time. But in today's episode, we are going, we, it's a jam-packed show. If you notice, I'm wearing my Jaguar shirt as today starts the NFL draft. And uh, we're going to actually be speaking to someone who's up in Cleveland where the NFL draft is being taken place. Danny Cotullo. He's a butcher shop owner turned entrepreneur and FedEx influencer. And before we bring on Danny, we're going to get into the logistics of racehorse transport for the events like the Kentucky Derby, which is also this weekend. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about getting creative with social media and video in those niche-based businesses and how you can steal some of those ideas from the B2C world and apply it into the B2B world. Now, the first topic up on this list is something that's a little bit personal to me, and that is the Kentucky Derby. It's always occurred in the, the first Saturday in May. It is essentially a national holiday in my family every single year. My dad and his side of the family is actually from Louisville, Kentucky, where the Derby is held each year. It's the Super Bowl of race horsing. Uh, of racing. And so with that being said, he moved down to Jacksonville, Florida, where I am based now with the Jaguars logo, as you can tell. And so with that, we have a derby party every single year, with the exception of last year and this year. Hopefully we're going to be able to bring it back for next year, but you can 
it's an all day event because it's not just about the derby of the actual running of the roses that happens around 630 at night. But there's actually races that happen all day long on Saturday and even the night before. So it's really like an all weekend sort of big party where there's games and drinks and betting and big hats and you know, pretty derby dresses. And it's essentially the day that everyone I've ever met in my entire life, if they live in Jacksonville, they're at my family's party. And so since we can't have it this year, I wanted to do something a little bit different and and start to dive into more of the history of the derby. And when I started going into sort of this rabbit hole of how to transport, how do horses, racehorses actually make it to the Derby and all of these other races that happen all over the globe because horse racing is big business. These horses are sometimes worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes millions of dollars that these that these horses can be worth. And so I dove into this article from the points guy. He broke down how racehorses fly to the Kentucky Derby. And I thought, just sort of assumed that it was always just through ground transportation. You know, I, sometimes you see, you know, driving along on interstates, you see the horse trailers and uh, that that's sort of a cool sight. But they broke down how horses actually travel through air and a bunch of different factoids that I found out as a newbie is that these horses being worth so much money, they can fly first class, they can fly business, they can also fly economy. So I guess for some of those horses that aren't really worth a lot of money, that's how they're flying. But some of these horses, they also are transported together, which you can see in this image right here. Some of the horses, they have a temperament where they like to be around other horses. So they're not going to fly that first class isolated lifestyle. But in some of these planes that are outfitted for this horse travel, they include onboard grooms, vets, temperature controlled stalls and other premium amenities. Now, this airline that you're seeing right here is actually from a carrier called Tech Sutton, and they have this plate. It's called Air Horse one. And I just love that sort of branding and phrasing because this plane is actually outfitted specifically for horses. It's a Boeing 727 and it's outfitted for 21 horses fitting two to three wide. And they said that pilots will also that, that uh, fly this plane will you alter their flight patterns to climb or descend the aircraft at slower speeds just to keep the horses comfortable. And so as I'm sort of like snooping through like these different horse carriers, and I find out that there's actually a National Horse Carriers Association. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cute. Like they actually have like rules and regulations in a group that that fights for horse carrier or, or for horse horse treatment, I guess, during the these different transport options. And I'm looking at the screen. And if you look on the right hand side, there's a name Joseph W. Brumley. I found out this week that that's actually my great uncle, my uncle Walt, who I knew as a little girl, was a founding member of this National Horse Transportation Association. And, and I just, it blew my mind. I ended up texting my entire family. And so even on a, a, a week like this, this was a, to be able to find out some kind of information about my, you know, my great uncle Walt. And he, this is a man who had a ton of adventures. He's a world, world War II veteran. He actually was included in the, the battle at Normandy. He, so he's a founding member of this National Horse Carriers Association that determines not only how horses are shipped across the states, but also the conditions that they're flown in all around the world. This group was founded in 1960 in Louisville, Kentucky. 
and 11 companies signed on as charter members, my uncle being one of them. Now, at the time, the federal government regulated all trucking companies as to the territory territories that they were eligible to travel through, as well as the, ima- the amount that they were allowed to charge for each shipment. This organization was formed to act for and on behalf of its members in the publication of freight rates and tariffs. So that's just a really, really just awesome discovery for me. Not only diving into a lot of these different factoids of how cool it is to like transport live animals and especially for some of these animals that are are worth, if, if you have a horse that wins a triple crown, every offspring from that horse or from that thoroughbred is going to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in stud fees. And so you have to think about from the angle of the investment that a lot of different owners all around the globe are making in these animals, that they are investing over generations of of money into these animals. And so to be able to see the kind of just rock star treatment that they're getting, I thought was really, really fabulous. And then diving into some of the different uh, Instagram accounts and and social media accounts for these different companies, it was really sort of a a breath of fresh air because I'm looking at some of these more like niche-based accounts, Tech Sutton being one of them, who specializes in horse, horse transport by air, but calling their plane... Air Horse One. I they ended up trademarking that slogan and putting it all over their planes. And I just thought that that was a brilliant move. Also, the official Kentucky Derby account showing off the behind the scenes and the culture around this event. This event has been going on for 147 years. One of those behind the scenes is sort of the baby pictures of past winners. You're looking at Nyquist and Justify. Justify won the Triple Crown just a few years ago. So his offspring are already, he's already making his owners back all of those hundreds of thousands of dollars, possibly millions of dollars that the original owner invested into racing, into breeding horses. So it's just really, really cute to see. I mean, look how cute those those pictures are. But the official Kentucky Derby account is not only showing the behind the scenes and making you feel sort of emotionally attached to these horses, but they're also showing you the cultural scenes. Like I said, the, the Derby has been around for more than 147 years. And so being able to show that when the first Derby hat started to be worn, the, the culture of the Derby dresses, uh, the mint julep, when that came to fruition and how to actually make a mint julep. That's all things that the, that the official Kentucky Derby account actually shows. Even if you go and check out their account on Instagram or TikTok, you'll see a, a first person view of what it's like to actually ride on a Derby horse. So it's that first person view. They, they strapped a GoPro to one of the jockeys and you can see what it's like to actually race in, 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 in the Kentucky Derby, which I thought was was really, really fun to watch. Um, but a few things that I wanted to bring up in, in with respect to Tech Sutton and with respect to the Kentucky Derby is that these are more like niche based accounts, if you can call it that. I guess if you're a sports fan, uh, you probably consider horse racing as more of a niche based sport. And so for this in particular, they are showing you posts that make you feel an emotional attachment. They're showing behind the scenes or they help you learn more about them, about the event and the services that they provide. So if you were to take sort of a play out of their book, out of the Kentucky Derby's book, you could use that same format of showing somebody how they can learn something, the behind the scenes or developing an emotional attachment, maybe through an employee story or through a driver story. That's how you can strike that social media gold and sort of take a cue 
from the world of B2C and apply it to B2B because we still, you know, at the end of the day, people do business with other people. So making that brand affinity, you, you can sort of feel it through these accounts. And that actually brings me to my next story, which is speaking of gathering attention and this new DHL report analyzed and published by Brian Strait of Modern Shipper. He said that millennials are powering the B2B e-commerce landscape. And I thought these stats were really, really eye-opening. It says a new white paper from DHL Express said that by 2025, 80% of all B2B interactions between suppliers and buyers will take place in digital channels. The company cited that the introduction of tech-savvy millennials into the workforce and the rapid acceleration of digital trends because of COVID that forced large segments of the global workforce to shift to remote work. And so from that article, we can also see that the white paper said that 73% of all B2B purchasing decisions are now made by millennials who grew up on technology and are now fueling the rapid digitization of the global economy. And in fact, a Gartner survey found that 44% of all millennials prefer no sales rep interaction during the B2B purchasing setting. And so if you're thinking about your social media advertising, if you're thinking about how you're putting your brand online, and now the fact that 44% of all millennials preferred no sales rep interaction at all in the B2B purchasing, uh, it's, it's, it's an unreal stat that if you're not already on social media, if you're not already out here making these, these different marketing decisions on these digital channels where people are spending their time and attention, then you need to be doing that like yesterday. Because if you follow you know, my podcast or watching any of these shows, you know that I preach about the buying habits of folks that has changed over the last few years. The, the power is in the hands of the buyers. They're doing more research online than ever before. And so how can you use that to your advantage? And you can really take a play from Kentucky Derby accounts and from some of these other carrier accounts that aren't afraid to have a little fun on social media and develop that emotional attachment and show you those behind the scenes. So let's take a look at how actually businesses are currently creating and using video because in a recent Vidyard and demand metrics study, they looked at 760,000 videos on the Vidyard platform in all of last year, and they picked the brains of 300 or so video marketers. And 60% of those videos on their platform were less than two minutes in length. Now, in previous episodes, we've talked about the power of short form video and a, a video that is two minutes is technically short form. Other platforms, maybe Instagram Reels or TikTok, the, the format is even shorter than that at sitting at around one minute. TikTok is rumored to be expanding to three minutes soon, but we're not sure when that's going to happen. But that's still technically considered short form video. So 58% of viewers will watch a business's video to the end if it's less than a minute. Another important stat to know but they stretch that video to 20 minutes or longer and completions drop to only 24%. Now, I kind of look at it as a glass half full with that particular stat because if you have a video that's 20 minutes or longer and 24% of your audience is watching until the end, that's really good. That is a really good number. So just keep that in mind as you're developing your long form video strategy and then also your short form video strategy. But let's also take a look at what videos those businesses are actually making. And two-thirds of those videos are product demos. Tied for second place at just over 50% were how-to videos, explainers, and webinars. And then training videos and social media were also up there. 
Now, when those videos where they actually live after the, the whoever is creating these videos, then they publish them. Where are they actually publishing those videos? 73% of them go to social media. 70% go on a company's website and 60% go on YouTube. I'm a little surprised that LinkedIn isn't on this list because I see a lot of people playing around with video and this video and, and this actual study was done last year and I know video has sort of overtaken on LinkedIn. So I, I'm, I'm a little curious why LinkedIn is it more on this list or higher up on this list and how they determine why why YouTube is not a social media platform because I imagine if they're going to include LinkedIn it's probably in that social media category just sort of all encompassing all encompassing but YouTube is considered a social media platform too loosely so just keep that in mind as you're looking at some of these different stats. Now, using examples, what we talked about from the B2C space and bringing those over to B2B, here's a couple lessons that, that we can take from those playbooks that even influencer marketing has a place. Now, Danny Catullo, who we're actually going to be bringing in here in the next few minutes, he's a FedEx influencer. B2B influencing or B2B influencers are on the rise. And so if you check out, check out this one video from this trucker on TikTok, his name is Rai Shororsky. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right. But he is filming himself picking up a load of bees and delivering them across the country. Now, if I was this, if I was this shipper or if I was this business owner and that was my honey that's coming from these products, I would reach out to this trucker and I would pay him for this video. And then I would use this video, all of my website, my social media marketing, it, it, the, this kind of content is ripe on these on these different platforms. And this is a really, really great video. And this is his day-to-day -day job. He's showing the beautiful scenes of what he sees all across the country. And he's showing how a product gets from point A to point B. And he's really giving that behind the scenes. Look, this video went viral on TikTok. And so it's it's one of those moments where you as a business owner or, or in charge of your company's marketing, you can go out and go to these different avenues that aren't traditionally thought of as business. Get off of LinkedIn so much and go on and see what's being created on these other different platforms because this guy is one of the more creative people that I've seen when it comes to trucking content. His Instagram is great. His TikTok is great. And it just gives that extra layer of that behind the scenes education that that really people want to feel connected with and they want to be able to connect with their with their audience through these different products. So just keep that in mind as you're developing your strategy and, and how you want to take it to that next level. Now, moving on into some of these other topics that I want to get into, one of our former guests, uh, Albin Brook, was actually on the program the other day, and he tweeted out that he was going to share with us, For he, he tweeted out that for every like that this tweet gets, I'm going to help write a tip to help get you started and improve your podcast. And so with that being said, he uh, I think he got into a little bit more than he could chew because this tweet currently stands at 289 likes. And he has got a lot of tips. I'm actually going to link to this in the show notes so you can break down uh, all of the different tips that he's sharing because it, it really is a gold mine for him. And number one, he says to focus on your niche. You are Joe Rogan. You can't land celebrities, CEOs, and, and MMA fighters at a moment's notice. But focusing on a particular niche, you'll be able to make it easy, create unique 
differentiated content. And then the next tip, I'm just going to run through some of my favorites. He says, don't stress about the gear. Don't stress about the equipment. This is one of those moments where I mentioned earlier in the show that, hey, we've made some improvements with this broadcast step by step. So don't focus on a lot of the perfection and getting it there from right off the bat because it's kind of impossible in order to get that that, that perfection done right away. Even somebody who is experienced like myself, it was very tough to hit the ground running and to hit that perfection of where I wanted to be from the jump. And so just keeping that in mind. So don't stress about the gear. A couple of other ones that I really, really liked is the sound quality is more about your recording space than your mic. If you can avoid background noise and reverb, you're going to save yourself a ton of headaches. And then next up, it's going to be make sure you like your topic. Too many podcasters out here and too many creators out here. Once you start to actually start creating, it's one of those moments where If you have a lot of passion behind the topic, then it's easy. It's fun to create content. It's challenging, but it still takes a lot of work. So if you aren't super passionate about that topic, it's going to be really, really tough for you to to be able to stick with it in the long run. But looking at how many creators are out there, you might say to yourself, well, oh, this this is a situation where... Uh, There are just so many podcasts out there. How can I actually stick out from the rest? How can I I make my voice known? And for a lot of creators, you don't really need a large audience in order to succeed. So as long as you're making a podcast or making a show or making video content about a topic that you love, and you're showing those little moments that behind the scenes, the educational, the inspirational topics, then those are different moments where you can really expand a upon your niche of where you're starting from, because it's always easier to start small and then expand, but it's really, really difficult to start broad and then go niche. So a couple more tips before we bring Danny in, we're waiting for him to connect just for a few more minutes. So a couple more podcasting tips, make sure you like your topic. And then for a couple of the other ones, it's getting back to that equipment, not letting it, not letting the the fear sort of take over. Um, Learn the basics of mic technique. From the mic technique, he says that if you want to take your hand and you put it directly in front of the mic, that should be about the space that you're speaking from. You don't want to be super close and you don't want to be super far away. Notice the difference in how that sounds. And it also makes it for a really challenging editing experience after you're actually done. And so knowing the basics of mic technique, experimenting with off-access recording. This is actually off-access recording of what I'm doing right now. Other microphones, though, you can have it sitting right in front of your face, and then you can sort of move closer or, or use that hand trick that Albin is teaching us. And couple more tips. Make sure you're listed in the top directories. Directories and having your podcast placed in some of these different directories is becoming increasingly important. Uh, Albin was on the show just a few weeks ago, and he was talking about you know, using the platform in a way that, that you can broadcast out to all of these different uh, platforms. So think of Spotify, think of Apple, think of Google. These are all directories that you want your podcast in. And so submitting your, you have 
first of all, finding a good host that you'll be able to submit to these different directories, that's really, really important. And so using their technology, you can instantly link up your podcast into these different directories. And knowing that Spotify is just ever increasing as far as podcast listenership is concerned, then then you, you'll be able to take advantage of all of these different platforms that you can uh, take advantage of those audiences that are already built in. So now that I've sort of gone through a lot of these different podcasting tips, then what we can do is we can jump into the interview with Danny. I think we have him on the line now. Uh, welcome in, Danny. How you doing? Hey, what's going on? <laughs> we're we're do- going well. It's one of those days where it's it's a lot of things going on this week, as I'm sure you have a lot of things going on too with the draft up in Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> tonight, my Jaguars are, are, are drafting the franchise future. Uh, so it's one of those weeks where it's a lot of stuff going on. Norm- normally it's us with pick one <laughs> and trying to figure it all out <laughs> again <laughs> and again and yeah, again and again. I, I think for, for, for those folks who, who don't know, Danny is based in Cleveland, Ohio, and he is a diehard Browns fan. I've actually chatted with him in the past where he has called himself the optimistic, the eternal optimistic Browns fan where he thinks that they're going to the Super Bowl every year as you know most sports most NFL fans <laughs> usually think. <laughs> this and is so I wanted, finally. Yeah, it's, it's everybody's year, right? <laughs> so I wanted to bring up this really cool bio because first of all you're a FedEx influencer which is fabulous. I love that you you listed that on there. But FedEx actually describes you as the owner of Catulo Prime Meats, you're a third generation butcher, and you took his, you took your traditional brick and mortar family business and turned it into a thriving online business. Now your expertise is in perishable shipping, digital selling, and operational scaling that has enabled you to grow your business from a local company to one that successfully ships at a high volume of superior quality prime meats across the country. So now that I've sort of got all of your, your your bio and your life journey, let's go ahead and dive into how did you become a FedEx influencer? So I, I actually graduated from Ohio State and I came back to run my family's butcher shop. And what I had learned was that our family's butcher shop was actually pretty cool. And when I, when I was working in it, you know, it felt like my family business and like, oh, coming to work every day and this is what we do. But when I went away to school and what I found out from people that didn't live in the area, that what we did was pretty unique. And my friends and you know friends of friends wanted to experience what we had in our small town, which was that European-style butcher shop with fresh meats, with homemade sausages and burgers. And so I had to figure out a way to get the product to them. And I just started testing and going on Shopify was on there like 16 years ago and just started doing it. And FedEx had run a small business contest right at the height of Facebook just starting out and Twitter. And I went onto the contest. I was pretty early on on Shopify, Facebook, other social media channels and happened to win that FedEx grant, turned it into a commercial and then became an influencer. That's awesome. So, so what are the responsibilities of a FedEx? And you're also an Amex influencer. Are, I would imagine those are similar responsibilities. Yeah, what's what's been very unique about FedEx, the opportunity, um, when I first won the, the award, um, they have a great team there at FedEx. And they've had us as winners, past winners of the award, basically go out and be small business advocates for them. So connecting FedEx to what's going on in the world of e-commerce. 
um, because it was so different than what their traditional selling channels were. My particular niche is in perishable shipping, probably the hardest thing to ship right now uh, in small parcel. And so I was going around the country and speaking for FedEx. I eventually became on their, became a member of their entrepreneur advisory board. And I'm basically just trying to connect the small business owner to FedEx and showing them how there's opportunities within FedEx to be able to get your products directly to consumers to help grow your business. That's awesome. So you, you've actually, you said the word 16 years, you were on Shopify that long ago with an e-commerce environment. When did you sort of first realize that e-commerce was the next path for your butcher shop? So it was the, you know, I first put it up on online and, you know, like any order that you get when you go sell something online is like, oh my gosh, somebody actually wants to experience, you know, something that we made. Uh, it was pretty special. After I won the FedEx award and filmed a commercial, that was great for us for national exposure. And we started shipping a little bit um, at a heavier pace around the country, better velocity. What I recognized was that the market out there for high quality products was really just getting started. And it, as more and more consumers became comfortable with buying food products online, then, you know, from my family's company, we needed to be out there selling for when that market became larger. Um, just like how at first nobody wanted to buy shoes online and Zappos came and made the experience easy. Um, we were trying to do the same thing from buying from an online butcher shop. That's interesting because I, when you're you're speaking through this and now you're actually the owner of a company that helps other folks make their perishable shipping goods as well. And so when did you realize that you needed to start helping out these other businesses, especially ones that are kind of competing with your business? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I have this sort of crazy life story, but um, I took the family's butcher shop and definitely brought us to the next level and became a national presence in, in the ship out. Now today, I, I don't own I own the butcher shop, but I don't run the day to day of the butcher shop. My brother does, and I own and, and run Perishable Shipping Solutions um, with three other partners. Perishable Shipping Solutions was born out of these conversations that I was having with other small business owners. Hey, you're able to ship steaks. Can you help me ship my ice cream? Or can you help me ship my sausage company? Can you help me do this? And I was going around the country talking about these things. Didn't necessarily realize that I was becoming a consultant and being an expert in the space, but quickly did, um, after the first year of doing it, um, recognize that I could really take that and run with it. And Perishable Shipping Solutions, which I'm the chief client officer and founder of, um, we, we help other businesses, both small, mid-size, um, and of course, some large companies as well, be able to ship their products directly to the consumer. So I'm taking all that knowledge that I learned at my family's butcher shop and then applying it to other companies to, so that they could be able to ship as cost effectively and as efficient as possible. Now, obviously, over the last year, a lot has happened, especially with COVID and the boom in e-commerce. And you said that COVID has been like pouring gasoline on your business, making you want to get more warehouses, go faster and, and, and do all the things. And you've since have raised, I think it was in last August, you raised $8.7 in Series A funding, a first for you. And you said that the process was long, it was complicated, it was challenging, but you wanted to put smart money to work. How have you used or plan to use those funds that you secured last year? Yeah. So, you know, 
it was a, it was a long five years till we got the funding for sure. Four and a half years, I should say. Um, it, it, as you well know, being an entrepreneur yourself, uh, it's a long journey. Um, it's it's definitely it's definitely not a short sprint. It's definitely a marathon. Uh, once we Very were able true. to secure a funding, um, what we really wanted to do is up our level of resources. So you know that's people. Um, so we we brought in a new COO, um, Stephanie Riffle. Um, who had, originally was the senior director of operations director over at Chewy.com to be able to help us take our operations to the same next level that she helped at Chewy. Um, we're also just hiring everywhere around inventory, supply chain, customer success. We're just bringing in experts in the space to be able to help up-level our game. Um, for us, it's also the physical footprint as well. So we're identifying new warehouses in New Jersey, in Texas, hopefully in the future in some other locations around the country to be able to shorten the transportation time so that we could be able to add less coolant to the box, which makes it more cost effective and help our brands be able to grow faster without having to spend so much in the packaging cost. Hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean... With your your previous experience with shipping your own goods and then now trying to help other companies, it, it's just a matter of just getting those smart bodies in there that that know that have been experienced and can bring that extra experience not only to you, but to all of your additional customers that you picked up over the last year. Now, on FedEx's Making It Work podcast, you also say that COVID was a way to jumpstart D2C for new companies with e-commerce as the way to get your products into consumers' hands. But you also said with bigger companies coming into the mix that I think a lot of larger brands aren't doing this, meaning e-commerce, out of fear. Why do you think these larger brands are being a little more fearful versus the smaller versus the smaller brands who are just jumping right into it? Yeah. So when you're when you're small, you can pivot faster. So <laughs> these smaller, mid-sized brands, one, they're they're competing for self space. So imagine you have um, an ice cream brand, you have 24 flavors it's difficult enough to get four of your flavors to be in a Piggly Wiggly or in a Kroger, um, Costco, you name it. So like you get your four to six flavors in that shelf space and it's difficult to get your other flavors that you want consumers to try so that you could be able to grow your presence. E-commerce allows you to take what flavors that the consumers already know about, but also add your entire collection to create demand so that you could be bringing that back to your B2B business. And so for small and mid-sized brands, they see e-commerce as that healthy way to create brand presence and be part of that marketing cost. Mm-hmm. For a larger company, there's a risk because they are selling the product in so many different places at so many different prices that once they go online and sell it, they're really committing to a cost that's obviously going to include different things in it than when you ship it directly to a Walmart or to a Costco. So it's just different for them. Um, so it takes a little longer for, you know, in our sales process as we work with larger companies or larger brands to be thinking about how is their e-commerce strategy going to work. What we found to be probably the most successful is for the larger brands that we ship for, like um, some plant-based burger companies, um, Cheesecake Factory and others, is really to create an experience online. So yes. You could be able to get their burgers at any store in, you know, in America right now or a majority of stores, but can you get their cookbook and their ground meat and 
you know, maybe a side item like a plant-based cheese, like Miyoko's mm-hmm. or tree line that goes with it. Um, so by creating these experiences online, larger brands can show consumers different ways to be able to enjoy their product. That's that's fascinating because I didn't even think about the aspect of, you know, say a plant-based option being shipped all over the US and different grocery stores, but what happens if that if that person wants more from that specific company, what can they do? Now, when some of these smaller brands are are, are coming online or are diving into the world of e-commerce, are there any common denominators that that they should be focusing on, uh, especially when it in with respect to their shipping options? Are, are there any mistakes that they're making right away? I, I heard you say on another show that that some e- some smaller brands are offering too many options and you've actually seen success with those brands offering a, a limited amount of options is that correct yeah you know just imagine you're like going to a restaurant and the menus is too big we've all been mm-hmm. to those there's just so many choices <laughs> and you know it's almost like paralyzation by <laughs> all these choices that you have Was it, it can be the same fatigue? way online our, our attention spans are short and we want to be close to being able to make the purchase. What we see to be the best is for brands to be thinking about the illusion of choice. So ice cream company, I love talking about ice cream. Uh, (laughs) An ice cream company goes on and they sell their ice cream in four packs, in eight packs, and in 12 packs. And for their four packs, they tell you there's a chocolate lovers pack, there's a fruit lovers pack, and a best sellers. And then maybe below, they allow their consumers to be able to mix and match their own. Hmm. But by giving them, by giving their consumers what the best is, just like your eyes when you go to a restaurant and you see the special menu and you want to look there first to see if something catches your eye, the consumer is the same way. Yes, they can be able to make their own flavor, make their own burger, whatever, uh, but they want to see what the restaurant recommends. And it's about the brand recommending the best pack. And so our brands that do this online, they have better sales. Um, they're able to communicate well to their consumers. And what they see is these variety packs that they create, the consumer's eyes flock to them. And it allows the brand to really understand their inventory velocity, which can be very challenging for a small company to make sure they have enough inventory in all of our locations to ship to the consumer. And, and and you sort of experienced this as well, I imagine, because you said your biggest challenge from going from shipping from one type of perishable good to a bunch of, of, of different options, you also are now shipping for a, a variety of different companies. What's been that biggest pain point for you guys to, to not only ship, you know, some of the, the temperature controlled items, but also maybe frozen items and, and other types of goods? Yeah, so, you know, For us, it's all about engineering a solution for our brands that we work with that works well for them. So like, let's tie in the marketing brain of those that have to go sell it. And then us being their arms and legs operationally, we have to make sure that we could be able to accomplish it efficiently. So our sales process and onboarding is very hands-on. If you want to go tell a company how to ship your product, we're not your partner. If you want to work with us on what the best way it should be, then we're going to be the right fit so that we can both grow. And it's a pretty simple business model because the more product that you sell online, the more that we ship and we both win. So we both have stake in the game, if you will, to be able to grow your business. So we just want to make sure on our side that we could be able to handle those 
buckets of the way that you want to sell your product. So those scenarios effectively. So it's all about engineering the correct solution. And, and, and speaking of one of those solutions, you actually offer two different solutions on your website. One, that, that custom option that you were just talking about. And then another option for fulfillment is, is that you guys can actually give the customers the option to purchase different shipping containers. You, you call them not shipping containers, but uh, they called green cell foam coolers. Tell us a little bit about these and what makes them unique because the customers can actually buy them directly from you and still handle their shipping. Yep. So we we stock two different uh, two different biodegradable coolers. So our company is, you know, I, I only get one life here. So I, I want to be able to leave a good imprint on the world. And one of the things that we are one of our mission statements is to be able to carry these biodegradable materials so that we could be able to ship things with a better footprint as far as um, carbon footprint out there. So we have the green cell foam containers. We also have temper pack containers. Um, they're both great to be able to ship your products in because they have the same R value, which is the insulated property that could be able to hold the coolant and your product in. We have different sizes that work well for different products. And so for those clients that aren't necessarily at that 200 orders a month threshold to be able to be working with a 3PL and storing your pallets of product around the country, we could be able to help you crawl, walk until you're ready to run with us by getting these insulated materials directly to your door. You could ship yourself. You could be able to use our discounted rate. And we're really going to help you eventually become a potential client for us. Hmm. I love that because you're not only just... You know, as a small business owner, I never want to, and I, I'm sure you feel the same, but you never want to turn your back on those fellow small business owners. And so I love that you're giving them these additional options so that they can grow with you instead of just, you know, looking at a company like yours and saying, well, maybe one day I'll, I'll make it there. You're actually helping them get there. So much so that I read this stat that from 2016 to 2019, your revenue increased by close to 1500%, which that doesn't include 2020, which I imagine if you spent, you know, five years rate, you know, going after the series A funding that you finally got it secured that that business increased last year as well. So how are you handling all of this growth? Uh, not sleeping much. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? It's it's about, you know, I have I was lucky. I got to grow up in small business. Um, my, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My my father and my uncle ran the business. And they, they had me, even when I worked for them, they had me own what I did. So if I wanted to come up with an idea, I had to own the process. I had to own the numbers. I had to own the price. So if I wanted to expand our gift box sales, if I wanted to add e-commerce, I, I had to come with it with a plan. And so I grew up in that environment. And what I learned by creating those ideas when I was younger is that you needed to surround yourself with smart people. Mm -hmm. I have great partners. Our, our CEO is amazing. COO, who I mentioned earlier as well, our chief development officer, Ruben, that I work with. You know, we, we, we lean on each other um, for... For definitely for smart work, but for emotional support as well. Mm. Uh, it takes a village to really grow a company. And I'm lucky that I'm surrounded by so many smart people that help validate um, what the mission is and our strategy and help move the ball forward for us. And, and that's how we're able to experience that 3x growth year over year. 
That's amazing. And, and I, I also read that you guys are big on data analytics. Now, when you're approaching a new business or, or maybe a current client that you already have, how are you using the different analytics that you're seeing in your reporting in order to help them grow? Like you said, crawl, walk, run. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a, a fairly big data geek. Uh, so I went from pricing out the entire cow and thinking about like how much we should sell strip steaks for if it's summer or winter. Uh, now I'm using that data in a different way, but you know, we have such great aggregate data. So we know what states are hot right now. We know what states, what cities are doing well. We know what the costs to get to those states are. And so what we could do from just even a marketing standpoint is let's say 15% of your orders are going to New York city. We see the average for brands that are in your industry to be 17%. Well, then you know you have a bigger market to be able to go after in New York. Maybe there's areas of the country that you know you are doing, you have a higher than percentage than, than what's going on, and they cost you more than shipping to Chicago. So maybe you should take that marketing dollars of shipping to Denver, Colorado, and move to Chicago, Illinois, because you're going to get better ROI because there's this big opportunity for you. And also, we know the costs are going to be lower. So it's just using the data that's out there um, specific to your brand, but also against our, our aggregate to make better business decisions. Data is not the end-all be-all. There's plenty of qualitative reasons why you should make decisions. But I believe that data should help support those decisions so that you're, you know, you're spending your, the most bang for your buck. I love that because as a marketer and trying to help my clients understand what they should be doing and, and the things that they should be going after, I'm constantly looking for those different data points. And I, I, it didn't even, I mean, it crossed my mind, but I just didn't know how to really connect the dots between the two. But you make a really great example that if you're going to get a higher, if the shipping costs are higher in one city versus another, you should take those marketing dollars and spend them where you're going to get more bang for your buck. And it, I, I love that strategy. So so great job on that. Um, the bringing, shining a little light over here while I take notes <laughs> off to the side. <laughs> now, moving on to something slightly more serious. And that is the NFL draft. It's tonight in Cleveland, actually all weekend long. Uh, as the, the the world's most optimistic Browns fan, how are you actually celebrating with, with the NFL draft in town? Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, just being able to celebrate, like not picking in the top 10 <laughs> is like just a, a major win for us. Yeah, because you actually won your first, I, I was reading because I knew that you, you won a playoff game last year, but it was your first playoff win in 26 years. That yeah. is incredible. So I'm sure that you guys are still riding well, high. I took my oldest to the last game of the year, which um, they played Pittsburgh and won to get into the playoffs. Uh, and it was like, uh, as you know, as a young person that's following sports, especially throughout like their parents, like he never really was on board with the Browns. Like, why do you follow them? <laughs> they always lose. And like two years ago, we started getting into it. And this year he just like, it clicked for him. And so he had to go through all the highs and the lows, you know, the Jets game that we lost, like maybe not going to make the playoffs. So I brought him to his first uh, Browns game, that Steelers game. And oh my gosh, what an experience. Uh, you know, I brought my dad as well. So my dad could tell him these old stories of the Browns winning in, <laughs> in the eighties. And it was just, uh, it was just amazing to be able to, to watch them, you know, really do well. Sports are one of those things that, 
it's there's nothing to do with our lives, but yet they're it's intertwined and like it's part of my family. It's part of our family's history. And it's it's interesting how like the emotions of sports can be such a large part of your life um, mm-hmm. when you have nothing to do with the outcome other than cheer really loud. <laughs> Do, do you find that, you know, working in business, I, I know from my side of things, is sports is still that sort of ultimate connector. It's that ultimate handshake. So from like your, your business practices, I, I'm curious, would you or, or do you actually do business with, say, like a Steelers fan that, that, that owns another company or is that just out of the question for you? Listen, I ship for plant-based meat. So like, <laughs> I have no qualms. I'll ship for anyone. <laughs> very, very true. If it puts food on my family's table, I'm going to do it. No, right. I, take their money, I guess. <laughs> you, you know what I learned the most about sports, especially about football is really like watching the way that coaches coach and leaders lead. Um, both like individual players and then also the way that, you know, coaches, you know, the way they run their teams. I always found it to be interesting as a, someone that went to Ohio state um, trestles from my hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, and then watching the difference between him and urban Meyer and the way they led. And there was like something to be taken from both of them. um, Urban not being your coach. Um, It was just interesting the way that urban ran his company, ran his team and how he viewed the different departments and how he let leaders lead and how he gave people the, the keys to, to be able to, to run their, their own sort of section of the team. And there's something to be said in that and something that I need to learn from and could be able to apply right back into business as well. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more because the, the, the tone around Jacksonville has changed drastically. I still have to sort of pinch myself that urban Meyer is our coach and, I'm sort of close to Gainesville, so not a lot of Gator fans are are typically happy that that Urban Meyer is is now back in the North Florida area, especially after his stint with Ohio State. So it sort of brings it uh, full circle, I think, for a lot of them. Um, but it, it definitely is a, a big tonal change around the organization, around the city. Like everybody, we're calling this Trevor Day. Like the 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 bridges in town are lit up in Clemson colors because it is such a, a life changing thing. And sports just help and affects all of the surrounding businesses and relationships. And so I just, I I love being able to tie sports and business together because I do think it's such a great sort of initial handshake. And, and, and speaking of, I guess, you know, sort of those events that bring people together, how, what is the city like right now in, in Cleveland, you know, with the draft going on, I heard that the structure that they built for the draft is the largest that the NFL has ever built. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's pretty cool. I would say the energy is very palpable. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it reminds me of when LeBron was here and there was just that enthusiasm around the chance to win. And, you know, Cleveland in, in the surrounding areas are very proud cities and they very much believe in the hardworking mentality of like, we deserve this. Uh, we put in our time for <laughs> cheering for that team that you know had no chance of winning year after year over year, and um, it, it's interesting to watch the city sort of come together. Adding on top of that, of course, you know we're really just coming out of COVID, and you know those that have been vaccinated are able to get out a little bit. We're, we're starting to see you know the community start coming back together. So how cool is it for us for our first spring after COVID? To, to really come back into an event that we could be able to celebrate as well. 
It's not something that we are talking about last year's struggles, but we're talking about the future and how we're adding to the to the team that already won a playoff game and that has a chance to win a Super Bowl. So That's I think it's awesome. pretty special for the city. Absolutely. And I've heard, you know, Cleveland is one of those teams that is sort of in, and like the Jaguars, you're sort of the butt of the jokes for, for a very long time. And the city itself is sometimes a victim of the butt of those jokes, but I have heard just incredible things about how the city of Cleveland has really sort of, you know, risen up and they they have all these little trendy spots around town. And so how it makes a, a bunch of sense for, for the NFL draft to be there tonight, knowing all of the history that they have, you know, with the NFL. And, and speaking of that, how are you actually celebrating tonight and sort of the weekend? Do you have like a special menu planned? Uh, d- tell me a little bit about how you're personally celebrating. Yeah. So um, my oldest who also likes to, to cook and eat um, as much as I do, which is <laughs> you know, right about the max. Uh, we've already been going over uh, while I've been at work. What are the wing plans for tomorrow? So. Um, interested i think he he wants to do some sort of blackened cajun wings um with a homemade ioi sauce that we can be able to dip to uh and then also do <laughs> some sort of mac and cheese this that he found on tiktok uh, i don't know oh, TikTok, wow tiktok food is like a whole nother generational thing that my son is just totally into <laughs> and learning all these cool unique recipes and he always wants to try it. He's like, dad, can we try this stack? Can we try that? I'm like, sure. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Cause I, I'm, I'm right there with them. My, and I got my mother in, involved in it as well. She has a composition notebook, like one of those old school, like high school notebooks. And she just sits and watch TikTok recipes over and over again. And she just <laughs> writes them down in her composition notebook in order to try. But we get to, as, as her kids, we get to be the taste testers. So, so we get to take full advantage of it. Now, bringing, wrapping it, it back, back up, let's talk about what's next for Cthulhu Prime Meats. Let's talk about what's next for, for parable, Perishable Shipping Solutions. What, what do you have planned for the, the rest of this year? Yeah, so for, for Cthulhu, as I can speak for my brother, uh, we've, been, we've been growing on Amazon. So we, we also <laughs> ship on Amazon. We have a pretty thriving crab legs and main lobster tails, believe it or not. Wow. Um, there are a bunch of shops, one of the first people to go on Amazon and, and start shipping that. I'm really just growing all the different channels. I This is the convenience is here to stay. So whether it be on Amazon or Shopify, but also on other selling channels as well, utilizing the technology that Instacart, Uber Eats, and DoorDash are starting to put into play, um, we're just going to be all for it. So for Cthulhu Primates, just trying to utilize the technology to get our, our product out to as many consumers as possible. For, for perishable shipping solutions, it's really just identifying those markets that I mentioned before that we could have new warehouses in and, and really trying to find clients that we can partner with to look ahead of where the market's going to be. Uh, mm. we're, we're still right at the beginning. Um, and COVID was an accelerant. And we started to see more and more people become comfortable with getting food directly to the door. I just mentioned Instacart, Uber Eats. And yeah, I can't even imagine my parents ordering off DoorDash before COVID hit. <laughs> and now, right. and now it's such a regular occurrence for people to get it, you know, for lunch or for dinner. And so as more and more people feel comfortable buying food online, we're going to see the business continue to grow. And so, you know, I, I look forward to thinking of strategic ways to keep those costs down as we get the efficiency of the volume. 
especially with Amazon, that that is, I think, an, an incredible turn because I would have never really imagined like ordering crab legs. And I think you also <laughs> sell turduckins on during the holiday season yeah. on Amazon. Is there any sort of, I guess, uh, shipping tricks that go on with Amazon? Or is it just like a oh, simple yeah. online order? So, uh, yeah, so you have to know a little bit. Um, so I have <laughs> you know, some experience on that, on, on how to sell on Amazon as far as growing your sales. Um, that we would be able to help you with over here at, at Perishable Shipping Solutions. But Amazon is definitely a different market than just putting your food out there when it comes to your own website. I, mm -hmm. I look at it like this. Amazon is a marketplace and there is a whole generation, a whole subset of people that aren't Googling products. They're looking on Amazon. So right. they find you on Amazon and maybe they order three pounds of crab legs or one tomahawk steak or something they want to do to try your product. And then once they fall in love with you, you have an opportunity to bring them back to your own website to offer larger purchases once they fall in love with your brand. So Amazon and Shopify or Amazon in your own marketplace, I think is like the best way to be able to grow your brand and your business. And what we're starting to see is Amazon starting to become 30 to 40% of our clients that ship on both platforms. Wow, that that's interesting. So you're you're going where the fish are, and with Amazon, and then you're trying to bring them back to your own owned media media Come programs. On in. And I, Come back into the family, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right, Danny, we we got a couple minutes left. Where can people find more of your work, follow along your journey, and and, and do all those fun things? Yeah. So for the butcher shop, you can go to catulloprimeats.com. You could also follow me. I still run the Twitter account. At Catulo Meats, watch me do some fun cooking videos with my son Antonio and Luciano. Um, you could also, if you have any questions on our perishable shipping solutions company, go to goperishable.com. We're there to help any size brand, small, big, large, you name it. We're here to help you. We want to help you grow. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Danny. And good luck at the draft tonight. I know you'll be staying up a little bit later than what you typically do on a draft night, but uh, just be, be sure to look out and, and, and cheer for that number one pick. Thank you. And congratulations. How easy is it? You already know who you're going to get. You don't even have to right. worry. It, it's great. Ever. <laughs> In 2017, after that season, having to wait that whole night to, to get our draft pick was miserable. I kind of liked, you know, especially when it comes to the draft, I kind of like picking early and you get the night over with and then you can go to bed. I love it. Just remember, you deserve Trevor. You yes, go with them, all right? <laughs> Thank you. And you you deserve your, your your playoff wins. Hopefully, you know, good things for the Browns. Just just slightly, just the Jaguars slightly better. Than, we'll that's see all AFC for. Championship. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll co-host it. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. <laughs> that was an awesome chat with Danny Catullo. He's, we've been connected for, for quite a few years now. Actually did an interview with him years ago because he is still known as the, you know, the, op, the world's most optimistic Browns fan and back in my sports broadcasting days had him on the show and learned about his shipping company perishable shipping solutions and I just thought it was a really cool tie-in especially today with the draft being in in Cleveland it's it's such a great story of, of of sort of you know sports bringing us back together in in more ways than one and it's bringing us back together in person and it's also bringing us back and there you go there's the Jaguars they're going to be number one on the clock tonight I'm actually going to be headed up to the the bank tonight where the Jaguars play TIAA Bank 
field and it's a sold out crowd. They sold out the, the seats. They sold out the, the standing room. You're still going to have to do the, you know, socially distanced seats. So, you know, do with that information what you will as far as sold out is referencing to. But it's going to be a really great time. Uh, you know, best of luck to everybody that's out there that has an NFL team that's going to be picking tonight. And I kind of, you know, wish the same thing towards you guys that I just wish towards Danny. I hope your team does well, except if you're a Titans fan. But if you are, you know, the Jaguars or any other AFC South fan, uh, let, let's let's cheer for, you know, improving our division and sort of the respectability across the board. Uh, once again, my name is Blythe Brumley. This has been Cyberly. You can find past episodes and all of my social media content over on digitaldispatch.io or by searching Cyberly on YouTube or on any of your favorite podcast players. Until next week, we will see you real soon.